This is Shaka Wart speak. <laughs> All right, dude. We, so we're gonna get, you're gonna get lost. I am. I'm lost. Go get lost. We didn't bring Cameron here to get lost. <laughs> no, that's good. We're welcome, I mean, Cameron. I'm we're, here for it. I was it. gonna say we're already recording. Oh, we're recording. So we can go. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome to Shock Art Speak. <laughs> hey, what's up, everybody? <laughs> Fully uh, derailed before we started, but yeah, yeah. Now we're well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so we have a. I don't know. I guess we just. Um, also today, as a as a side note, I've got extreme allergies. Turns out I'm highly allergic to ragweed. So, listeners, if I start sneezing, we're probably not going to edit it out because it'll be too many. Yeah. So <laughs> every time you hear Ryan sneeze, go find your favorite artist and buy a piece from them. That that's a great <laughs> idea, and I hope I'm your favorite artist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, I'm going to sneeze so many times. <laughs> no, so that's good. I was going to sneeze, and now I'm not. So I'm going <laughs> to. Keep going. But yeah, so we have episodes where we bring artists in to talk. And I feel like this could kind of fit into our entrepreneurial thing, yeah. um, perhaps. But um, I think it's a pretty uh, pretty interesting story, I think. Um, and so we have uh, Cameron Richer here with us, who is a painter. Mm-hmm. And perhaps more than a painter, I don't know um, the extent of your studio practice. So I don't want to define it too rigidly. We'll let you, you, we'll let you tell us. Yeah, so um, I guess my work for the most part reads as paintings. Yeah, um, the reads process as maybe is closer to assemblage. Yep. Um, I dabble in sculpture a little bit, but don't really. Yeah. That doesn't really make it out of my studio very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So welcome. So yeah, so it definitely <laughs> like when we'll get yeah. into that because it definitely has a construction quality. Like mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch to say about that, but mm-hmm. we're super excited to have you on, and I think yeah, it'll thanks be great, for having me. Great for our audience. So um, thank you. Yeah. So. We um, we like to kick these off by hearing a little bit about your own story, you know, like mm-hmm. kind of how you got started, and then that'll hopefully unfold in some super juicy gossip. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty some, of that. Yeah, some weird weird stories about professors and you know. Oh, totally. Stu- yeah. So, um, so but but how did you? I mean, we'll, and we'll get to what you're doing currently. But how 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 did you kind of get into this? Sure. Um, yeah. Do you want just from just from birth kind of thing or uh, you can go back as far as you want. Yeah. If you want to go pre-birth, if you want to go um, (laughs) cosmic, eternal, you know, wherever, I mean, you know, like I do think it's, I'll say this. I do think as expected and a lot of times, like people kind of go, Oh, I've been doing it since a kid. It is interesting if someone did and there were some like factors, like was it reinforced by your family? Like, like I think, you know, over the years we've kind of compiled some data because it's interesting to know, uh, what soil, yeah. you know, sometimes there's like a seminal moment when you're a kid where you're like, I kind of knew that I was going to mm-hmm. do this. So if that's in your story, yeah. we gl- we're glad to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. I mean, as cliche as it sounds, I, I do feel like I've been drawn to making stuff, um, since I was a kid, since as young as I can remember. Um, there were a lot of other things that I really was interested in. Um, I wanted to be a paleontologist and I wanted to be a, um, pastry chef and a uh, trumpet performer and a professional mountain biker and like all this random stuff. Um, But I feel like art was kind of the, or even if I wasn't calling it art, it was kind of the common denominator um, throughout my life. Mm -hmm. Um, When I really wanted to be a paleontologist, I would like make diagrams of dinosaur skeletons and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and yeah, just all throughout there was some sort of, or like I, I just loved like my preschool had a, um, this like station where you could, they just had like random pieces of like trash and like 
Um, I don't know if you've ever been to like a children's museum where they just have uh, mm-hmm. like computers that you can just take apart. Yeah. Like I was there anytime we had a spare moment. Um, and that doesn't feel like I don't, I wouldn't have called that art. Yeah. Obviously. Um, but it just feels like the whole, like me now doing assemblage feels like it's come full circle like multiple times actually mm-hmm. to where growing up I was like, oh wow, it's, I love like putting stuff together. Um, so that was yeah. probably the first time that I kind of noticed. Right, right, really right. Enjoyed doing that stuff. Um, I would say high school, late in high school was probably um, when I realized that I wanted to make a career out of art in one way or another. And I wasn't sure if that was going to be teaching or like children's book illustration. Um, But I decided to go to JMU. Um, I grew up in Harrisonburg, so I just stayed there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I majored in studio art um, and I got my teaching licensure. um, And after college taught elementary art for a couple years Mm part-time in the town of West Point, Mm -hmm. which is kind of near here. Um, And I, I loved that. I don't want to say I was doing that like just for the money. Yeah. Um, I, I really, I really, really wanted to like teaching because it felt like something that, I don't know. I think one thing we're, we're kind of going on a rabbit trail already here, but, um, all good. That's what we do. Yeah. Um, (laughs) art visual, just being in a studio art, uh, studio all day didn't quite feel very virtuous to me. Mm-hmm. And I think teaching was like maybe a way where I was like, this is how I can kind of give back and like, mm. um, do something that's like helping other people in a practical yeah. way. Um, but after a couple of years, I just, I just couldn't, I mean, I just wouldn't, wouldn't built for that. It's, it's a really challenging job. And I was only doing that two days a week. Mm. Um, so as soon as I could financially, um, as soon as it felt financially reasonable to leave the teaching job and um, do art full time, that's what I did, and that was in 2019. So more recent. Yeah. What was it? What was it like? <clears throat> how so? Before you before you got into teaching, when you were in JMU, like, what kind of experience was that for preparing you to even have the wherewithal to even have the conversation about virtue, and then. Uh, self-assess enough to then decide to make the leap, you know? So like talk about um, what that environment was like for you. Yeah, gosh. Um, I don't know if there was a whole, a whole lot of training to Mm -hmm. be able to like assess that um, in college necessarily. I think it was maybe more of a conversation just with my parents and, Mm -hmm. Um, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife Mm -hmm. was, was one person who like really, um, kind of encouraged me to leave the teaching job. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I wouldn't say there was a whole lot of, yeah. So I guess what I'm thinking is like, sometimes you have a rich studio experience yeah, and you have some mentors and they're really, um, galvanizing, uh, development of your practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, that gives you like a sense of what it can be like to be an artist when you leave school. And so 
how how was that? Did you have that? Like, what was it yeah. like? Because I guess because all I'm saying is like you you didn't you're like I want to be an artist, and you you went to JMU and you got a a studio art degree. I mm-hmm. mean, like, there's a lot of places people go. It's not, <clears throat> and this is not like shade on JMU per se. It's just to say that for the sake of listeners, that's not necessarily a typical decision. Uh, for a lot of people that have uh, managed uh, to have um, the success you're having. So like, yeah, what was it like for you there studying art? Yeah, I think um, my main mentor there, um, his name's Cole Welter. He was really pushing hard for me to kind of follow the pipeline of um, undergrad um, and then you get a master's and then that is kind of like a pipeline into, you know, you move to Brooklyn and yeah. and get gallery representation there. Right. Which I think was kind of, I don't know. I think maybe that was sort of the path that was standard when he was my age mm-hmm. graduating from college. And things have changed a lot since then. And I think maybe like when I told him like a couple of years after I graduated, we still keep in touch. Um, I love all my professors, by the way, they're, they're really great people. Um, and so we've kept in touch and, um, he was surprised when I told him, like I had got gallery representation, like a couple of years just out of undergrad. Yeah. Like, I don't think he really expected that yeah. to go that way. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I so, don't know. Yeah. 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 So, but you did have mentors though, as far as the making goes. Totally. Yeah. And so how did your work, how did your work develop? Cause you have very particular work. Mm-hmm. So how did that come about? Yeah, I think, um, I, w- I was given a lot of freedom, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think one thing that was really good was, um, professors who would not really like, they would have assignments, but if, if I felt like doing something, um, different. It was like, yeah, like mm-hmm. I, I remember one time I was like, cool, I don't, I don't like this. He was like, that's fine. Don't just forget it. So they were always really, really great about just allowing you to explore whatever you wanted to explore, but then also pushing you and holding you accountable to like really actually dive into that. Um, so that's I key. Think, that's the, that's the thing. I think I, yeah. I was given that freedom as an undergraduate. <clears throat> I was given a lot of training, but I was ambitious enough that I, you know, I, I was given space to like, oh, you're out, you're out pacing the class. So we'll just let you make what you want to make as long as yeah. we, there's a dialogue regarding it. And that was key for key for me to have that freedom and accountability kind of wedded together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the, if the professor can see that like your ambition is there, then yeah. that's kind of the thing that yeah. they'll let you, the assignments are really there if, for like people a fail safe. might not quite have the the drive yeah but yeah i remember my painting class was like they required like five paintings a semester and granted a lot of these people aren't painting concentration people so that might be reasonable but i was like i'm gonna make like 50 yeah <laughs> just because yeah, i yeah, want yeah. to yeah yeah so he was like all right well just yeah, yeah do your thing yeah, yeah yeah so when you came into school were you were you um because your work is is fairly abstract in nature mm-hmm. so um were you interested in abstraction prior to college or how, how did, what were you doing before? Like, like for me, I was an illustrator. So I was like the photorealistic renderer, uh, mm-hmm. moving into il- illustration and had some comic book drawing tendencies in my, my past. And so I, I slowly marched into, a, 
uh, an interest in abstraction over time. Mm -hmm. How is that for you? Yeah, I think um, becoming uh, a non-objective painter was kind of inevitable. Um, that sort of draw to formalism was always there for me, but I think it's also very necessary and good that I had the training in um, figurative drawing and um, realism and mm -hmm. just like the very practical, like learning elements of, of design and color theory and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so you had, so you had that prior to the, yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the first probably like year and a half of, of undergrad was just focusing like, I guess. So yeah, the first, the first year and a half was a little bit more structured. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I, I was allowed a little bit more freedom or a lot more freedom. Yeah. 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 And you just naturally gravitate towards a kind of non-objective, um, like, not maximalist, but sort of tending towards uh, uh, a certain amount of complexity in your work. It seems from what I've what I've looked at. I like to mm -hmm. see it more in person, but from what I can tell, there's a certain amount of complexity that tends to tip that way. And um, and then you have like this more um, these circular pieces mm -hmm. uh, that maybe quiet down a little bit. Um, yeah, I think that. Um the two kind of polar opposites have always been there mm. since I thinking back to early on in undergrad or as early on as I was allowed to just do whatever I want. It was like, I would swing back and forth between super minimal kind of hard edged geometric stuff mm -hmm. and, um, more expressive stuff yeah. or more visually active stuff. Yeah. 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 So, um, as you leave school, are you having exhibition opportunities prior to graduating? Like, how, how did that how did that kind of take shape for you? How because like you you just decided not to teach, and then you got gallery representation. So how what's the process? Were you showing before? How did you how did you make the leap? What's the process look like for you? Yeah, so actually, um, I'm going to shout out my high school teacher because she I had such a good grade school education and senior year of high school. Um, my, um, art teacher, my AP art teacher was like encouraging us to submit to, to local galleries. Um, so that was, that's cool. that was yeah, really, that's really cool. That's kind of where it started. I feel like, um, and so then, yeah, freshman year of college, it was kind of just, I was taking every single opportunity that, that kind of came my way. Um, I started, yeah, I mean, freshman year, I think I got a, um, uh, like a show in a coffee shop in Front Royal. Mm -hmm. Um, and are y'all, do y'all know Front Royal? Mm -hmm. Like small, yeah, small yeah. town. And, but to me, it felt like, oh my gosh, like this is it. Like, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so throughout college, I was always kind of seeking out, you know, coffee shop shows. And, um, I think I just sort of climbed the ladder mm. a little bit over the years. Yeah. Um, and so, well, I think that's, so that's why I asked, because I think, um, it's rare that it's just a raw leap without some kind of muscle memory developed through like yeah. soliciting, like getting out there and making an mm -hmm. ask or getting in front of people. And I think the more you do that, the more you find it easier to do it again. Mm -hmm. And the, in the scale changes, you start to kind of internalize and go, Oh, I can, what's, what's the difference between this coffee shop and say that gallery there? Uh, as far as the ask goes and, and, um, 
you don't even have to be self-confident to do that. Yeah, yeah. Necessarily, you know, it's it's an ask. Like you don't even like have to approaching be, them as an artist. Yeah, yeah. You don't even have to be super self confident in your work to do that. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, like it can you can still have all the questions um, and make the leap. But I, th I do think the more you do it, the easier it is to do it. Yeah, sure. there's. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, there's definitely some sort of <clears throat> weird sort of I don't know, mythology. I don't know what you call it, but <laughs> um, that like you know you get out of school and suddenly now you've been like marked with a stamp of approval, mm -hmm. and that's going to be the thing that like pops you into your gallery. Yeah, and it's like no, I think you know freshman sophomore year, like the work you're doing, like the stuff you're doing at that point is actually <clears throat> hugely important uh, because yeah. I always tell students like you're you're always starting on the bottom rung of the ladder. It's just a question of when you're actually going to start on that rung. Sure. If you do that at 19 or you do that at 25 or 55, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Like you're still at the same spot because, you know, you sticking around like in life long enough doesn't make you like anything different. Like you're still the same artist yeah. in the same sort of space. I think it's important. Um, but I think it's also interesting because I was, I was uh, curious about like your, your high school experience yeah. um, because you said it was later in high school that you kind of, uh, kind of had the, the thought, okay, let's maybe do something with this. So it, obviously art had kind of been around, like you said, as you were growing up. Um, but what, what was, what was that high school teacher like that was actually kind of like helping you? Like, what were those conversations that you were having that made you have that shift from like, oh, it could just be a hobby to like, oh, I'm going to actually invest time and money to go to school for this. Yeah. Um, I think the main one main thing that was really great, well, there were so many good things, but um, one thing that I think really pushed me with her was that she, even more so than like any of my college professors, would not blow smoke. Like she would, mm -hmm. she would not compliment a piece if she didn't absolutely mean it. Mm -hmm. And so she would always just give like the most honest, um, objective feedback, mm -hmm. which was super helpful for me. Um, and yeah, so there was that. And then there was also the fact that um, she taught us so many like practical things about um, just like how to prepare a portfolio to submit. At the time it was just, we were just submitting for the AP um, mm. grading. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I literally, I do the exact same thing now when I'm submitting to galleries. Um, I, I do the exact same like photo editing process for the pieces and I wouldn't know how to do that without <laughs> my senior year in high school art education. So that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, hearing about that, like senior year in high school, like that's stuff that some folks don't get throughout their entire college experience. Yeah. Like well, that sort yeah. of, even at, we at never learned that in college. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's bizarre. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like a, you know, like, Hey, you'll just be good enough for people to recognize and they won't even mm -hmm. care how professional yeah. you yeah. are or not. Or you'll <laughs> get like, it out there. Cause you'll, you'll figure it out. And, and right, right. It, it's not true. Mm -hmm. Um, no, that's a, that's a, I think the significance of, of, it's why we had the conversation because um, the reverse is true. You know, people that are casual that go into art education and then casually teach other people mm -hmm. destroy other other cameras before they ever get to become where you're at now yeah. or, or other Ryans or Garrett's like, they, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, because they're such a poor representation and they don't actually do due diligence. So they're not actually teaching anybody the value. So then it's, it's, it's a valueless thing. And then you have a bunch of people that have been inoculated with, I know enough about the arts to know that I don't need the arts or that the mm -hmm. arts don't matter. And that becomes the dominant majority that's out in society. So then, you know, it's, it's, um, 
And then maybe some people catch it once they get into like university, but it's typically with anything, any subject, it requires some kind of passion and investment and interest from someone, an interested someone to be willing to be publicly interested enough that you're, you see their interest and you, as they're teaching you, You they're they're like, Oh, you're really into this. Like that's actually quite helpful. You know, (laughs) like, like you actually care. And then you're telling me like, here's some how to's and you're being honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have have my own encounters with with that as well with with an honest mentor, and uh, it it matters significantly. Yeah, um, it's it, it's like life changing, mm-hmm. you know. In all in all honesty, um, yeah, you had a thought. Well, I was going to say, so you have this this kind of uh, this this fantastic art teacher in high school, and then it moves into some fantastic mentors in college, mm-hmm. and so it sounds like there's a lot of ground that's really getting covered to really help you step into a professional space as an artist. Absolutely. Um, but outside of that, what are some of those uh, those lessons that you've had to kind of like learn from like uh, the failure or the, you know, unsurety of something? Yeah. Um, what, are, what are the things that have come up that like maybe didn't come through school or through some of those direct one-to-one mentor relationships? Yeah, I think um, one thing I've learned is just I'd like to make the analogy of like, just throw as many darts at the dartboard as you can and yeah, yeah. hope, you know, some of them stick. Um, and you're inevitable that a couple are going to stick if you just throw a, a bunch. Um, so I feel like I've always been pretty, like, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a super outgoing person, like socially necessarily, but sort of like you were saying earlier, Ryan, like you don't really have to be a super like confident person to like go approach a gallery. You just, I mean, yeah, you just, mm-hmm. you just go do it. Um, so I feel like I've always been pretty like, my friends in college kind of made fun of me or I don't, I, they, I think they were maybe just complimenting me, but um, they would, they would notice that like sometimes there was this little switch that would just flick and like business Cameron would come out and just go <laughs> like talk to some like networking Cameron would just like turn on and, you know, go talk to whoever. Yeah, um, I remember there was one time I had one of my coffee shop shows and um, across the street from the coffee shop, there was a um, like this little sort of cutesy uh, like kind of decor store, home home goods store. And I was like, I just got a feeling about this place. So I walked in there and I was like, hey, y'all sell uh, local art. And um, the guy behind the counter was... Um, he was like, yeah, actually I own the largest, uh, commercial art gallery in DC, but yeah, we also have like little prints and stuff here. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) Um, and so I didn't, I, that was just, that's just one example of like something that it's like the more people you talk to and the more like opportunities you just kind of find. Yeah. So and I ended up not getting into that gallery. I mean, I, I wasn't even close to yeah. getting into that gallery at the time, but it's like the more things you do, the more. But the it's more. still left, it still is like a thing you're saying. You know what I mean? It still has yeah. some kind of resonance because it's like, yeah. it's, a, it's a point you're making now. And like, yeah, I always tell my students, uh, you know, at VCU, like, um, it's kind of like a blowing up the paradigm. And I'm just like, you don't need permission to be an artist. You can yeah. start now. Mm-hmm. And I've had students take me up on that and they have a little bit of the same kind of, um, I think knows that you have as far as doing that thing. Like one of my, you know, my favorite stories is um, uh, this fantastic student, Connor Bachman, who I worked closely with for a while. 
And uh, early on, like as a freshman, I told him, hey, uh, some of the things you want to do, you should look at this guy. You know, it was a studio visit. I was like, you should look at this guy, Getty Saboni. And, and uh, you know, it was like a book at the library. And, you know, one out of 100 students does that. <laughs> Goes to the library and checks out the book you're talking about. <laughs> so, so Connor hits me up, I don't know, a couple of weeks later. And he's like, um, hey, you were totally right about Getty Saboni. I was like, oh, you checked out the book? And he goes, no, I, I looked him, <laughs> looked up where he lived and I drove up to New York and <laughs> met him in the studio. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and uh, so that became this thing with Connor. Like that's how he, it's like whatever you suggested, his brain was like logically jumped like light years ahead into like, and, it, and you know, and it was just like matter of fact decision-making. It wasn't, it wasn't like he was, I mean, he was really talented, but it wasn't like his work was there yet. But like it, it expedited. I don't think he makes work anymore. Honestly, he was, he's a phenomenal artist. I think he just consumed the art scene in New York so much that I, if I, um, I think he's doing like, it makes sense though. He's like doing remodeling in like, um, oh, I forget, Hudson. I yeah, think yeah. he like has a home in Hudson. And, but he, he was just so good that probably, I don't know, maybe he got bored. I haven't talked to him in a while. I have to, touch base with him but but anyhow he had that nose you know he would just go and mm -hmm. and then once that ice broke then it was like well that's just how you do things yeah you know like and then and then laura my wife was like um why don't you be more like connor i was like hey 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 <laughs> <laughs> different people different people whoa slow down uh but um but no i mean i think that's the thing is like i've tried to instill this in people it's like you don't it's okay to get rejected. Like you said, you've yeah. got to throw, you've got to, we always use baseball. It's like baseball. You know, if you're batting 300, you're doing, you're, you're, um, phenomenal. Hall, yeah. You're, you're like hall of fame, fame. Yeah. you know, in baseball. So it's like, you have to swing and miss a lot totally. to be an artist and you have Absolutely. to be so okay with that. Mm -hmm. And what I see so much is, um, is total paranoia over assurances of success with something that is never going to matter. Because like, it's like you have to make a hundred of these, not one, Yeah, you know? And it's like, it's so difficult to instill that in people. Like you, it's a very small few that really grasp this. And I have, I have a student right now that I think, think she understands this, but um, yeah, 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 yeah. Like I love that, I love that you were already going for it. I mean, I think that's important for, for folks to hear. Yeah, thank you. And yeah. I mean, I, for me, it was just, it didn't really feel like a work. It was just, it was just really exciting. Yeah. to think about like what the possibilities were. Yeah. So you so cur curiosity then. You have a bit of a curious like an excitement curious curiosity equation in there somewhere. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think see I think you That's know when huge. you're talking about being a kid and taking mm -hmm. stuff apart. Yeah. I here's the thing though. I don't know that you can manufacture that. I think you can cultivate it to an extent, sure. but I do think there is like differences in people mm -hmm. and you know like my kids are not highly curious people. And there's nothing that we, I mean, we've tried to put them in front of all kinds of stuff. They love to laugh, mm -hmm. you know, you know, kids oh, yeah, like yeah. have a great time mm -hmm. and they love to tell stories. They're very relational, surprise, surprise, but they're not. Um, and so we're trying to cultivate curiosity, but they just, they don't have your, your daughter's penny is very curious. Yeah. I was going to say my kids have a, a strange curiosity that uh, I'm, I'm happy about because yeah, totally. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's great. Um, it, there's times where it's not great, like yeah. long car rides. Yeah. Because then you get like we did 
heading up to West Virginia from the back seat, you get the 45 questions. Yeah. Logic <laughs> bombs. Yeah, just, blah, 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 what blah, about blah. this, Dad? What, what about okay, this? So Dad, what about, and I'm like, I never get this. <laughs> I got three. I never get this. But it's crazy. But yeah, I think there is something like there's something there in, in curiosity because, yeah, you know, so a lot of the courses I teach deal with creativity, creative practice, mm-hmm. how you foster that, how you reframe it and understand it better. I don't have any problem saying that everybody is creative to some extent and that can be cultivated. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to curiosity, that's different. It's Mm -hmm. weird. Like there's a, it's a thing, right? It's like, it's almost like height, you know, like you're going to be tall or you're not. Yeah. um, And you can learn to do what you can with what you have, Mm -hmm. you know, like, but there's something else with curiosity um, that's interesting um, because it is a thing that it's a driving force. Yeah, it's something that has different levels to it. And then and th- so there's like the the nature of the person who is curious. So like if you're just like, I'm just very curious, like, you know, I, the excitement and curiosity, like it's like across the board, that's that's very much the person. Yeah. And then there's the the nature of a curious thing mm. that can mm. stoke a curiosity in someone who otherwise yeah, yeah. maybe is n- not all the time curious. And so, you know, a studio practice can become the thing that elicits that from you. But there's a there's a work to get to the discovery point to realize that I want to see how this comes together. Yeah, and I think some people find that. Um, so I, I think there's also the nature of what's in front of you that may be the very thing that catalyzes the creativity or the uh, the, the the curiosity. Yeah, there's well. something about curiosity. Like there, there's some connection that seems to be there between like curiosity and confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, where mm-hmm. it's like we think of confidence as like, oh, I can do whatever I whatever I want, whatever I put my mind to, you know, like the Kevin Garnett, like anything is possible yeah. sort of confidence. And I, I don't know. I think that's a different thing. But I think when we talk about confidence, it's like there, there's something external mm-hmm. that is more um, it's more weighty mm-hmm. than like like my thoughts. Right. So there's like a confidence that's external that I think matches up really well with curiosity. Mm. You know, so there's a there's like a confidence in the things in the world being so like just disgustingly rich with like meaning and beauty. Mm. And that confidence allows me to seek out what that is Mm -hmm. that really drives that deep. Um, Because I think there is like a but there's also an inability, I think, in, in curious people to to tap like what they know about something. So if you come across somebody who's like super like mentally just like robust, like just a logic person, a highly rational, um, I don't like that doesn't pair super well with curiosity for me mm. um, because there might be a lot of people like, no, 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 I'm curious. That's why I find out these things and I learn them to the nth degree. But it's like, no, I think there's like a confidence that the external world is actually so rich and deep that I can't tap it out. That's going to allow me to maintain curiosity. Yeah, yeah you know. Yeah. So I think there's something like there, mm-hmm. um, and so it's like a, a, a higher. If, if all this is kind of tracking, a higher degree of confidence in the richness of the world outside of me, mm-hmm. I think can push towards a curiosity at times. Um, there could be other reasons too. You could just have a kid who's just like, no, no, I just want to know everything. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> but, so that gets into something because you talked about excitement. You've mentioned excitement a few times. Mm-hmm. So, like, what happens? So. Um, what happens when it, when making's not exciting? Ooh. Maybe you haven't had that happen yet. No, I yeah, literally just happened yesterday. <laughs> good, um, it's fresh. Yeah, it's fresh. Very good. <laughs> Time, timing. I think the main thing um, for me has just been being in a routine and mm-hmm. making creativity a habit. Mm-hmm. So that every day at ten a.m., if even if I don't feel like making something, it's like 
my brain is just like, oh, well, time to be creative. Mm. Like, you know, time yeah. to go do the thing. Um, even if like I feel kind of consciously groggy and not very motivated. Yeah. I it still is like just kind of a routine that I get out to the studio. And that's very much like um an aspirational thing. Like it's not always that way, mm-hmm. but I'm working towards that. Yeah. No, I think that's huge because we were we were talking to a guy on another episode and he was talking about like routine and how like important it is because he's juggling yeah. like a nine to five and so he's getting up at like crazy hours in the morning to do painting before <laughs> he starts his work. Wow. And um, you know, it's just it, it's awesome. Um, but routine, like uh I think is another one of those things that like we have to work hard at. Like mm-hmm. it's, I, I've I've met very few people who are like so just like able to step into a routine and just do it well yeah i think most people i've come across have been folks who like the first step in the work is to get the routine the second step in the work is to maintain the routine exactly the third step is for the routine to pay off Uh um what's been your experience with like that even just having that because you know we come out of school where it's like you're required you have some external force that's telling you here's how your routine should be Mm -hmm. once that's gone i think a lot of people have that kind of after school uh, sort of hangover where they're just like, oh, nobody's making me do it. Yeah. So how did you, how have you worked against that to have any sort of routine? Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe some of it is just cultural that like other people just have nine to five jobs. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess I should just also work from nine until approximately five. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe there's some, I don't know if you would say like social pressure, but just like, I would feel guilty if I didn't work eight hours a day. And then my wife who has a very challenging um, job in social work came home and, you know, was talking about that. And I was like, I didn't really do much today. <laughs> and there's been <laughs> days where that happens where I was just not feeling very motivated and it, it sucks. Um, so I don't know. Um, yeah, I guess for better or worse, like sometimes it is kind of motivated by like the guilt that I would have if I didn't do the work. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's great because one of the things we say on the show, we've said for a long time, is that artists have to uh, be in community in the sense they have to know other artists and be known by other artists. Mm-hmm. Um, but it extends past that too. So I think what you're talking about is like there, there is a like a community of like accountability, right? So we we can we tend to have this another kind of cultural myth of artists that they're these these lone wolves that are by themselves practicing like innate genius in some corner and then they emerge with a shining beacon of light mm-hmm. and they're like, here's my gift to the world, you know? And like, that never happens. Right. It, it more or less is somebody being like, Hey, did you do something today? Right. Have you made things? Yeah. And even in a general sense of like, you know, there's friends we have that I don't see as often as I used to. And so one of the first questions is like, Hey, what have you been making? And even that, like having the idea that if I bump into one of these people, they're going to be like, what have you been making? Yeah. Like that's a good thing to have. Yeah. Yeah, one thing I'm really trying to do better about is just going to openings and stuff mm. um, mm-hmm. and just, I don't know, being out and just seeing stuff. Because that you're so right. Like it's, yeah, it's not healthy to just be holed up in your studio all day. Um, and yeah. you really end up, like I, I find myself falling into the like um, kind of hoarding my time and, and like not wanting to go to stuff because I'm like, oh, I should be in the studio um, making like, why would I go to an opening when I could just be spending time making paintings? But like going to openings is exactly like you said, like that's going to feel 
your studio oh, yeah, practice yeah, yeah. among many other positive benefits and reasons that you should go to openings. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you want people to go to your openings. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like if everybody has that mindset, there's nobody going to the openings, but right. Yeah. For real. But it is, it is hard though. I mean like, like running the gallery, we don't get to go to a lot of other openings. Yeah. You know, like there's a cost, there's yeah. a cost to everything. So it's like weighing, weighing the costs. I know that, um, you know, I've been doing this for 20 something years now and there are seasons where you're just like, man, like I'm, I've changed. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not who I was, you know, when I was 25. Yeah. And so my motivations for making are different. I've got years behind me. And so the way I approach the studio is different. And, um, that's an interesting thing to work to, to kind of like work through. And so I do think the routine aspect is, is, uh, it's wise. It's un, it's unglamorous, but it is, um, it's an important part of the equation to making like, you know, so like makers make, so you, you know, you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta make time for it to happen. You gotta actually have resources around and make it happen. Mm -hmm. Um, you've got to put yourself in a position to keep it going, but also you got to know how to, I think live a rich enough life that there's continual reason to make Yep. because a lot of what motivates you as a young in, in your younger days will it, most of the time it does change. Like it won't be enough to see it, a certain complexity happen again or a certain coming together. Like there's paintings I made in 2012 and I'm making things that have a lot of similarities, but, but don't too. Yeah. And uh, it's tripping me out because it's been a decade. And I'm like, gosh, I, my motivations were so different. Like what I was like, why I was doing this is so different now. Mm -hmm. It's it's otherworldly. It's not even the same at all. And and what that means is, um, there are certain craft quality aspects in what I do that I had more zeal for in yeah. 2012. Yeah, yeah. That I don't carry the same intensity for now. Like I don't like it's like a part of the work, but I don't have the same moxie for it. It's like because I'm interested in something else about the work. Yeah. And so like there's a interest in a different angle that just wasn't even on the table before. Mm -hmm. It's weird. It's a weird thing to go through. It's hard hard to put into words, but it's there. And like you're just in your studio. Nobody else knows that but you. It's like this weird thing, you know, that you're you're um perpetually aware of. It's like an elephant inside your own head. You mm -hmm. know, like, hey, the elephant in your head is you're not gonna make fifty layers of urethane and sand each layer anymore. <laughs> and the unobservant yeah. person doesn't know that. But anybody who pays attention can see that that you're not doing that now, and then you're like, "Gosh, I don't want to do that anymore." Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's weird. It's well, I weird. think you, you bring up an interesting point, which is, you know, we were talking about like with you, Cameron. You had a lot of these folks in your in your past that have kind of um, helped you get to a spot where like the professional career makes a little bit of sense more than maybe some other college experiences mm -hmm. people would have had. Um, but I don't know that there's a single place like if there if if formal art education doesn't do a phenomenal job at preparing most folks to jump into a professional career, then I don't think there's any formal art education that's out there pre preparing folks to actually have the career. You know, so it's like, if we don't prepare you well for year one, we're definitely not preparing you for like year 20. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and so, but like you're saying, it, but it is in your head because I don't know that anybody would go to college for this start a career and then be like, you know, we'll see how long it lasts. Yeah. Well, hopefully knock on wood, <laughs> this is good. So I don't know, like, what are those, like you're, you're in your studio, you're doing your work, you're selling your work, you're doing your administrative stuff. You're doing all the uh -huh. stuff as a part of it. 
what is the kind of dialogue you're having with yourself about how this is something that stays over time and not just something that is like a cool thing now? Yeah. Um, you mean like from uh, from me staying enthusiastic about about my work? I mean, or? it could be, or just even how you kind of you know, is, are you are you even approaching your career in maybe the same way you approached your education in terms of like mm-hmm. learning this, exposed to this, it gets me here. So enthusiasm and just longevity, even. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I guess one, one big thing would just be having balance so that I'm not burnt out. That's yeah. Yeah. Um, and just making sure I was like full throttle in college, most of college. And not only did I feel super burnt out, like pretty much all the time, Mm -hmm. but my work suffered for it too. Sort of like y'all were talking about earlier, like, like your work will benefit from going outside of the studio and seeing other people's work and like experiencing nature and just like interacting with people and like, yeah. I don't know, having friends and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's yeah, actually having so, friends is really nice. Yeah. <laughs> Even like having friends who are not artists, you yeah. know, like it's Imagine actually, that. yeah, it's like, this is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got friends that don't even know I'm an artist. <laughs> I'm like, I'm good with that. I'm not worried about uh, it. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that would, that would just having balance would be a big thing for me. And, and just making sure like when I am in the studio, if I'm really like zoned in and like locked into what I'm doing, I can get more done in four hours of just like hyper focus, you know, intense studio session than I would if I was in there for eight hours or 12 hours, just like slogging out so that I can yeah. feel like I'm really grinding and like earning it, you know? No, that's real. Um, Cause there's, I mean, and also, you know, we were talking about this a little before, but you, you're doing this thing as yourself. Mm-hmm. So you're not, you're not a part of some like collective with other people that are going to be like stretching your canvas or building this or, you know, uh, putting up or your stretching website. your hamstrings, <laughs> stretching your hamstrings. Yeah, Somebody yeah. else stretching my hamstrings for me. <laughs> so you're, <laughs> I need that more. Yeah. I know, right. <laughs> I just thinking about myself when I'm working, trying to work out in the morning. It's like, gosh, if I had someone to push me right now, I'd, <laughs> you, just need a, you need a studio assistant that also functions as yeah. like a personal, personal uh, trainer. Like yes. Yeah. Like personally, like, hey, gosh, so just sit nice. in the corner. That'd be a heck of a job. <laughs> you need to just have a video that's like on loop and it goes on a random, you can, it's an easy yeah. code to write. Yeah. And it'll just be like these small little video clips of people just encouraging you or yelling at you. You never know what you're going to get. Sure. It's like, get up. Yeah. You can do it. What's yeah. the, um, have y'all seen the, the like 10 hour uh, loop YouTube video that's just DJ Khaled saying, oh. another one. <laughs> There it is. I'm going to play that. (laughs) 10 hours. That's perfect. That's That's probably what I need, actually. No, that's that would be huge. Problem is, I'll just treat that and and just be eating another piece of candy. Yeah. Like another one. Yeah. What another one was. Well, here's this is the business concept, right? It's studio hype men. That's all it is. You hire folks out. Yeah. Pop into your studio at random times. Yeah. And just be like, you got it. You got it. Right when you're really in the zone and then it messes it up. And so then you. Totally ruined like, your day. I'm not for get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. That's Who's a lost paying day. you? <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. I am. It's on a subscription and you have to visit our physical location to cancel it. So you never will. So in 2019, <laughs> in 2019, you, you, you're like, I quit teaching. Yeah. Did you write like a, a letter and be like, I quit? 
and then just like, <laughs> and then write a little, and then like just start sending out resumes. Like how, I mean, here's the, here's the thing. When I was at VCU and I was doing my MFA, we went to New York uh, because of Gregory Volk, who is a pretty renowned uh, art critic that was mm -hmm. teaching at VCU. And so he, you know, the thing about being at VCU is you get treated like, you know, especially back then, you got treated like a celebrity and then you got expedited into celebrity galleries. So you're, I'm standing in like Zwerner Gallery. Oh, wow. Yeah, so so we're we're listening, we're getting to meet all these people, it's mm -hmm. crazy. Wow. And um, every gallery is like, never just submit. You have to know someone. You can't just cold call galleries anymore. Yeah. You know, so you're like, yeah, that's, I see that. You know, there's an influx of people that just make sense. And, um, you know, don't call us, we'll call you. So it's like, mm -hmm. so I just have that in the back of my head. And mm -hmm. then you're like, I stopped teaching and I don't have an MFA and I have gallery representation. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. So one other thing that, that wasn't really talked about in college that became kind of my bread and butter financially for a few years up until like, I guess like six months ago, um, was outdoor fairs like tent you go like set up a tent and hang mm. your art on like a like the fabric mesh walls yeah of the tent. like you bought your own fabric mesh wall set yeah up. so i um i actually did the first the first time i did one of those shows um was my college girlfriend was um knew about this show in roanoke and we like split a um a booth mm -hmm. and um that so it was like maybe 150 bucks overhead fee and she knew somebody who had all the um like equipment to set it up and so i was like sure why not and i remember selling i sold almost everything that i brought which at the time was like maybe 500 bucks of stuff but to me i was like holy cow like like this this could be a viable source of um income um and so i just ended up doing i think i did a couple more shows like that the next year and um yeah i mean it's it's not unheard of to to go to those shows and make five ten fifteen thousand in a weekend wow that's pretty um, amazing yeah that's kind of amazing yeah doing abstract work yeah yeah really well and and so that is one thing is that i did notice i've juried a few of those but i've never oh, really? done it before yeah so this is tripping me out um yeah so i did my first year out of college the first couple of years out of college i did probably 15 of those drive i drove to florida like two or three times a year um i drove to minneapolis kansas city and um yeah sometimes wow. you end up losing money but for yeah. the most part those ended up being being lucrative yeah um you're talking like three three of those you make 30 40 grand well yeah and so i i'm that when i said 10 15 000, that's mostly other people that i know that i made that much yeah. i think my my most lucrative one was maybe pushing 15 or 20 if you count like all the resultant sales right but for the most part wow. it was the first couple years out of college i it was like I think I drove to Florida for like a couple thousand dollars, which felt like holy cow. But I was like, yeah. when I really did all the expenses, it was like, okay, wow, I just made like a couple hundred bucks to drive to Florida. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have, um, a road, have a road trip. Yeah, yeah. So I yeah. had to do some evaluating there. Sure. Um, but yeah, those those can be a really great way to not only financially kind of start out, but also I noticed that I gained so much experience 
um, just kind of on my elevator speech. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're if you're out there for eight hours a day and you have you know a few hundred people come come through your booth, yeah. you get so much practice just giving them the thirty second spiel of what your work's about. Sure, That's and real. you just get so comfortable just kind of rattling it off, so that when you go into a gallery, it's like nothing. Like mm-hmm. yeah, so. Wow. Interesting. No, yeah, that's huge, and that's super valuable. So even if you totally. do have those like uh, those trips where you're like, "Oh, I just spent all this time and money to make two hundred yeah. bucks," like, but but what you're talking about is super valuable uh-huh. uh, because you know what you said earlier, Ryan, is like you don't have to be like self confident or confident yeah. in your work to approach a gallery. Yeah. But when you are, that's huge. Totally. I mean, because yeah. with with different folks that'll submit, um, there's you see a wide range of the the way and the style in Mm -hmm. which people submit, but also the language they use. And you can always tell somebody who doesn't really know how to talk about their work, which which makes for a harder show on the gallery side of things. Because like, if you don't know about your work, then it's gonna take even more work for us to get into your work Mm -hmm. um, because we don't have any like kind of direct tie from the artist Mm -hmm. telling us it's about this, I look at these things, I think of this way, my practice is based on this. Um, And so those are are things. Also just art, PR stuff, artist talk, um, all of that, you know, it's just helpful to, to, I mean, I've always prided myself, sorry, I'm, I, I'm, I've always prided myself on, well, for a long time on actually knowing how to talk about what, what the heck I'm doing mm, to have that huge. elevator mm-hmm. pitch, to be able yeah. to say, yeah. like, even with Shaco Art Space, like I, if you give me two seconds, I can give you a big picture quickly because mm. it's just second nature and I believe it. So like, I'm not, it's not like, it's not like a, um, a hollow sales pitch. It's the tr- it's truly what I believe, mm-hmm. and I've learned to scale it to fit where someone might be at in terms of their time or attention span. Well, just a couple yeah. minutes ago, I was looking at your your Instagram feed, mm-hmm. and I was just looking through, and uh, I think that even what you're talking about comes through in the way that you like present your social, mm-hmm. um, because you'll you'll see. I had I had a fun interaction with a student a few years back who was really bothered because he was like, I have a particular aesthetic to the way that I present my work on Instagram. And I'm like, okay, cool. Nobody cares. Um, <laughs> because you're not like, cause the content is there. You just yeah. kind of like painted a veneer uh-huh. and the content's not there. So, so worry more about like the content being consistent and an mm. aesthetic consistency will actually happen. Um, and so it's, so it seems that, you know, most of the folks who kind of feel confident in the way that they talk about their work, like you're talking about Cameron, like there's also, it's going to play out in other ways as well. Mm-hmm. It's going to mm-hmm. come across in the way that you present your work yeah, uh, website, into a social scene, your website, sure. whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, and so that's, yeah, no small thing whatsoever. Um, and what I was, what I was asking earlier before we started uh, is kind of in the same space, but like you're doing all these things, you're not working with like a whole team of folks who are like supporting you. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're wearing many hats at many times. Um, how did like, did that come kind of naturally? Like, were you, did you have the same sort of curiosity and sort of confidence into doing all of those things or were there things that lagged and then you had to pick up on? Like, what was your experience with the sort of administrative side of being an artist? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because there's no, there's not, there's no blueprint for how to be an artist. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if what I'm doing is is conventional or like if it's way different than what everybody else is doing. Um, but I guess I just sort of, if there's something that I notice needs to be done, like then I just figure out a way to do it and it may not be the way that everybody else does it, but you know, it works. And I guess to a point, like everybody kind of, you figure out something that works and then you just kind of keep, keep doing that thing. Until it doesn't work. Yeah. 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 Um, 
Well, you know, it's funny about that. I, I, I was going to, so <laughs> you, you, uh, I just, I, this is, it gets more comical to me, to my own head in a, in a, in a good way. Um, because, um, you're like, cause I want to get to like where you're, you know, you're exhibiting galleries, mm-hmm. but you're like story so unconventional. Like tip, like my professors would be like, you never want to show in a coffee shop because <laughs> once you establish yourself as a coffee shop artist, yeah. you never get out of that. Right. Also, I used to get told as an undergraduate, you never want to show an art in the fair, the kind of right. festivals. Cause yeah, once yeah. you get into that, you'll never get out. So I never did either. So it's, it's, I'm just laughing. Cause I'm like, you're, you just said it. You said there's no one way to be an artist. Yeah. And, and I think, um, but you usually get taught the one way that your professor became an artist. Yeah. And so, yeah. Happened, so I'm <laughs> laughing because I'm like, you literally defy everything that my professors told me as an undergraduate. I think, which is really funny to me. I actually, I kind of, I kind of love that a lot. And you're, show, you know, and you're having more <laughs> success than they probably, I have a great professor. Well, not all. No, I, I scratch that. <laughs> yeah. I got, I, I got to remember who I'm thinking of. Like, that's not true. My, I have some professors that are like in history books. So like they're pretty much on Mount Rushmore, yeah, but, but not there yet, but it's just, just to say that in terms of like, you know, sell, selling work and getting gallery mm-hmm. representation widely, like it, it's none of that has stopped you. It's like all seems to have like gone together in a way that I just love. I mean, it's partly why I wanted you on. It's like, I just love that it's not, it defies that kind of notion. Yeah. That's so like, thank you. First of all, um, it's so cool to hear you say that. Um, I don't really, I mean, again, it's like, I don't, when you say that my story is so unconventional, it's like, it doesn't really feel like it to me because I just know what my experience has been. Um, so, but I think as far as the outdoor fairs, that was, I did, it did have to be a very conscious decision Mm -hmm. to not do that anymore because you can, I see people that get sucked into those and you, you see the kind of money you can make. Yeah. And, um, so it did have to, this past spring I had, I had to make like a really, uh, conscious decision to just not do those anymore. Gotcha. Um, because of, well, cause there are galleries that will not, not mess with you. Oh, I'm sure yeah. if, <laughs> if, if some of my galleries knew that, I was doing those, they might not be too happy about yeah, it. Um, yeah. so I kind of just don't say anything about it most of the time. Yeah. 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 Um, and here I am now, but <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not doing it anymore. So I'm you're not good. Doing it yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. 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 You're not doing it. Yeah. You're totally. Um, it's a totally new, new time and you're <laughs> on to the next thing. The tent is still in the attic. The tent. I'm attic. hoping it'll stay there for yeah. eternity. I'll that's sell a, the house. And that's a kid's be. bookstore. The tent in the attic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh really? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm saying <laughs> we're gonna make it. It's a tent in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a scary story. Or <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it depends on the gallerist. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, that's a that's good. And I think you know, so there, the the unconventionalness of it, I think, is nice because I think that unconventional is the conventional. Yeah, uh, in that sense. But right? also well, what's unconventional it, here, it, what's coming out is I think you're probably pretty, you strike me as a very like um, directionally to the point mm-hmm. and practical. Mm-hmm. And that's what's funny is like, like everybody's trying to like work this like off angle magic. And it's like, <laughs> I just went over there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did that because it's, it makes sense to do that. And I think we've talked ourselves into 
not being sensible sometimes. Like mm. I think people, it's the mystifying aspect of being an artist that maybe yeah. doesn't have to be so mystifying <laughs> yeah. in that sense. Yeah, you know. And it sounds to me like you're you seem pretty um, common sense oriented. Yeah, I would say so. I would say I'm a pretty. And that, and I think yeah. that's probably um, the secret sauce. <laughs> maybe so. Yeah. Maybe so. It a good. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, and I'm, I'm saying as a someone who teaches thousands of students now uh -huh. at this point, I see a. Uh, I do see a lack of common sense. Mm. Not to go too far into that, but um, and then lo and behold, you don't hear these stories very often. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and you get in those weird spaces where folks are like, well, I, don't, I don't, I couldn't really tell you how it happened. And mm -hmm. it's like, well, I don't feel like that's a very comp. Like, maybe you shouldn't come speak to students with, yeah, with that right. story. Yeah. <laughs> it happened because I'm awesome. <laughs> but how many times? I mean, yeah. I don't know if you ever had this experience at JMU. You have the the artist come speak to students, and they're like, oh, you know, I'd love to tell you exactly what happened. And it's like, well, that's literally why you're here. Yeah, yeah. So if you can't, <laughs> and they're like, but I can't because it's too competitive. Yeah, and, or I'm yeah. gonna lie to you and tell you I can't. I don't know how it happened because I'm not gonna let you replicate it. Yeah, and steal it. From and me. I want so the myth. On. I want the myth that's to terrible. win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how did you get the, I mean, so what galleries are you showing with and how did you, how did that sure. happen? So 2019, you decide, you take the plunge, you got this other aspect going on, but nonetheless, like you, you have to decide I'm going to um, exhibit in galleries. I remember yeah. in 2019, I think maybe, I can't remember if it was 2019, but Nick, Nick was tell, at some point earlier on COVID, COVID years are blurry. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like you weren't, I knew about you at some point uh -huh. a while back because Nick was telling me okay. about you. So whatever at whatever Thanks, point y'all met, Nick had Nick was like, You gotta check this guy's art out. So I did start checking out your work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So anyhow, like yeah. I, 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 I I it's been interesting to observe, you know. Well, I appreciate that. That's that's always really cool to hear that somebody's been watching me that I didn't really know was happening. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Super creepy too, right? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> the tent no, in the attic. Yeah, the tent in the attic. There you go. Okay, that's exactly right. <laughs> it's going to become a real thing. Yeah. Um, that's the title of your next show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you do a show at Shaco, we can call it Tent in the Attic. Perfect. And we'll build an attic into the ceiling. I like this. Yeah. It's on. It's there it is. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good. Um, so, yeah, I ran out of college. I had, I had started showing with a couple smaller galleries. Mm -hmm. And I remember on one of my drives to Florida for the outdoor fair, I walked into a, um, a gallery just cause I had some time to kill. Mm -hmm. And the owner came over to me and was like, hey, are you an artist? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, cool, you wanna give us some paintings? And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and so I don't know, it's just crazy like how you talk about the art world being so like, mystified and you know how do you get into a gallery mm -hmm. um a lot of the time it really has just been going in and like meeting a person and i think that was like a really crazy outlier experience where like yeah. somebody would just say that like right off the bat mm -hmm. and try to strike up a conversation most of the time it is me that has to strike strike up a conversation um but that's kind of how that started um and so i worked with a couple galleries like that that I mean, the first few galleries that I worked with, it was like, I think that first gallery that I got into, it was like, okay, I'm set for life. Like they're going to sell every single painting that I send them. And, um, that didn't happen at all. And so the first, like, I don't know how you would say like the first, uh, I'm trying to be nice, 
but the first like real gallery that mm -hmm. showed my work yeah, yeah, yeah. was um there's levels yeah exactly um so we'll, we'll to define that we'll say like the first gallery where there is somebody who owns it and this is their full-time job yep. selling art yeah and yeah, they don't yeah, do yeah. anything else it's not some like you know law office that right right um also doubles as art gallery um the first real gallery that showed my work was um two galleries in atlanta owned by timothy two mm -hmm. um and so that was they picked me up the same year that i left the teaching job i think it was actually after i left a teaching job that they picked me up um so i was still mostly um just subsisting off the outdoor fairs mm -hmm. um and then it was another couple years before there were there were a couple of other smaller galleries that i worked with um throughout then there was a gallery in orlando that i also found through an outdoor fair um and they did they did pretty well for me for a couple of years axiom fine art mm. um and um i still work with them a little bit um and then this past spring um i um started working with Heidel Brooks mm -hmm. in Charlotte and um, Sorel Gallery in Connecticut. Um, and I think one thing that was super helpful is when I first got into um, two galleries in Atlanta, which that was just a cold call email with my portfolio, wow. which <clears throat> I mean, it feels impossible to just get into a gallery cold call like that yeah. until it happens. Like you can send, I, I remember that was like, I sent probably 50 or a hundred emails and they were the one gallery that replied back. And um, I didn't even, they honestly like weren't really even on my radar that much. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of a Google search, like, you know, yeah. galleries in Atlanta. Sure, that's like within driving distance. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realize like the first time I went there to drop off work, I was like, holy cow, like this place is for real. Um, so once I got in there, um, it was, I think that really was super helpful because a lot of other galleries sort of started to take me a little more seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, it kind of always helps when, when I walk into another gallery, um, for instance, like the one that I got into in Charlotte, it's, it's kind of helpful if I can say like, oh yeah, I'm just in town. I was on my way to Atlanta dropping off some stuff at yeah. two galleries. So <laughs> that's like kind of a smooth way to sort of like, yeah, <laughs> I've yeah. Found let people know. Drop a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, but it's hard to do that. Like until you get your first big opportunity. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I would say like just going in and talking to people is the most helpful thing. And like, don't like, I try not to be rude about it or pushy. Like if they, if it's not the vibe, like just sort yeah, of you just leave them alone. Yep. Um, but if they're like a lot of times the stereotype of like gallery owners being kind of stuffy and like aloof is I've really not found that to be the case at all. Mm. Um, for the most part, they're usually super friendly. And, um, I remember Paige bond was, um, I were, I showed with her once or twice and, um, she was, she was super open to talking and, Mm -hmm. um so that, that was really cool to see yeah, yeah 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 and so so you you made the leap and then you know the uh was covid for you a time where it just allowed you to be really productive in the studio it feels like mm -hmm. to is that is that the case for you or um yeah yeah i would say so well actually 
Oh man, COVID was a crazy year because I actually bought a house uh, um, right before I closed on the house like two weeks after the shutdown. Mm. So the first few months of COVID were um, just me um, like renovating the house. It's a really old house, so it needed a ton of work. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think I took like maybe three or four months actually off from really making any art at all which wasn't the intention um, and and um, wasn't really a wise decision financially either because yeah. that was like my income. And I was, after a few months, I was like, holy cow, I need to start making some stuff. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of the first little bit of COVID. But then once I once I got the studio up and running, then yeah, it was, it was really good to be able to lock into a lot of studio time. Did you have a studio somewhere else before, before yep. the home studio? Yeah, yeah, so I was with, um, the elevator collective yep. mm-hmm. over in, uh, Scott's edition, um, for probably a couple of years. Yeah. 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 The home studio though. I mean, I have a home studio and it's the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. No, I love it. Yeah. So you built out a garage space. Yep. Yeah. And in, were you, uh, uh, a, a remodeler? I mean, it was that all also <laughs> you figuring out on the fly? Yeah, yeah. Um, just a lot of YouTube videos. Yep. Do it yep. yourself YouTube videos. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I had a friend that had done drywalling and stuff before. So do your parents yeah. did you have any artists in your family outside of yourself? Are your parents supporters of of I mean gather they probably are, but yeah. Yeah. They're supporters. Are they are they artistic as well or mm-hmm. um my I come from a family of musicians. Okay. Um, so they are they were all very supportive of yeah. just me doing something that's not like practical practical conventionally. Yep. Um, so yeah, yeah they were, yeah, they were always sense. very supportive. That's probably a good time to mention that like, I'm, I'm a pretty privileged person. Yeah. I'm, um, you know, we weren't extremely wealthy, but you know, my dad was a professor. They managed their money very carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, your dad was a music professor or yeah, he was, he was a music professor. Gotcha. Um, and so they, they were able to put me through college. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, my grandpa bought me a car, the car that I drove to Florida all the time with. So uh-huh. it was really beneficial to be able to um, graduate college and sort of start that adult journey mm-hmm. with a with a um, kind of clean slate financially. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Listen, if you got it, you got to use it. You can't. You know. I mm-hmm. don't know. I would. I didn't have it, but I would have used it if I had it. So I wouldn't know any otherwise. You know what yeah. I mean? I think yeah. that's the thing. Like. Um, but I do, I definitely think too, like the, see, so this is the, so just the fact that you come from a family of musicians and your father's a professor, like those things tend to, it's interesting. Like when you're looking at, um, the soil for the next generation, you're trying to find like ingredients that I think can help produce a meaningful generation of, you know, culture makers, let's say. Mm-hmm. So think about uh, a certain, certain amount of stability does that it's difficult though, you know, like there's stability, but there also needs to be a little bit of famine, a little bit of like, I got, I've only got these resources to Mm -hmm. work with. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. and I tend to, I think creativity is optimized in that tension, um, or potentiality, if you will. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I definitely feel that in my studio. Um, uh, yeah, I, it's just, just, just something about needing some kind like there's the, 
lack and the the negativity that can drive a person to make but then the person can become sort of and i think this is probably me where you start to become beholden for a time to needing negative opposition Mm. you know so like that was my my story for a while until i matured out of it into something better Mm. um but then there's like the complacency that can come from sort of being privileged Mm -hmm. but which somehow that hasn't happened with you you know it, it you've actually maximized it you've optimized it to to uh, generate opportunity for you to, to where you're like buying a house and building a studio mm-hmm. and, and generating generating work. Um, and your work is very constructive in a, in a way. I think I was reading through one of your statements, you talked about uh, setting up parameters or games for yourself. Can you talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit in the studio? Is that still hold? Yeah. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> um, I, I remember one of my professors said something to the extent of um, you have to, create a problem mm-hmm. in order to solve it in a painting um, and that paintings are more interesting when there's some sort of tension mm-hmm. because there's um, a history of trying to figure out a problem mm-hmm. and so i think for me a lot of the time um not exclusively but especially with smaller work um that tension and problem solving comes from just trying to use scraps either from when I was renovating my house, it was a lot of scraps from like either just old cabinet doors or mm-hmm. um, pieces of whatever, um, molding or trim or whatever, um, or just scraps from previous paintings. And so um, I think it's actually uh, Taylor White was the person. Do you know Taylor? He's yeah, a, yeah, we've um, had him on the podcast. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay cool. Yeah, yeah I've never like, actually met him, but I was a huge fan of him and didn't even realize Taylor, he lived in. Um, Taylor's awesome. He's yeah, he, he yeah. might even be listening right now. He's a listener <laughs> hey, of our podcast. Hi, Taylor. So Taylor's um, fantastic sense of humor. Oh yeah, yeah I can see that in his yeah, paintings. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, Taylor's yeah. great. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I was a huge fan of him and didn't even realize he you know lived. I think he lived in Stafford when I first discovered him mm-hmm. up in like near Fredericksburg, I guess. Um, but yeah, so he was, he was kind of somebody who articulated that, uh, idea for me that, um, it can be kind of a game where you don't, um, you try not to go to the store to buy new materials mm-hmm. You look around. And I think, I think his words were something like, um, I look around and try to imagine that there is already a good painting in here. I just have to find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Taylor is, um, yeah, he's a favorite of mine. And, yeah. And uh, really, really smart guy. Yeah. Really funny and um, insane. He's insane. He does insane <laughs> stuff. Yeah. He does his, some, yeah. I, I let him come on another time and tell some insane stories of like the way he goes about making a mark or mm-hmm. really, really rich. Um, no, I think that I think that that's an interesting. You do you do need parameters. You do need some kind of. I think I do think that solving a problem um, keeps the work from becoming slick and indifferent. Like that, there it, that tension. I don't know. I mean, and I, and I, and so that's that leads to my other question is like, so how has gallery representation um, has it influenced your work in in that way? Do you feel a, a pressure in that sense to be uh, making work that? Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, like, so for instance, when you're, you know, galleries deal with this a lot. That's why I, I chose to start Shackle Art Space as a nonprofit. Cause I was, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to not, at the time it just was more practical. It was more consistent with, with what was happening here as a kind of underground thing. 
and a lot of people showing up and um, cr- these open critiques I was doing and uh, people coming out and, and you know, you wanted, I wanted to maintain a certain amount of like, we don't have to narrow to show what we know will sell to yeah. a narrowing clientele. Right. So that was not a critique on that. It's just, I did not, I did not want to deal with That's that. Like that was not my thing. Yeah. And so it's like, well, this, this is going to be a nonprofit and we're going to build an institution. I'm going to build this thing. Mm-hmm. It's going to be something different. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I've seen galleries struggle and put pressure on artists to, to maintain a certain look, a certain feel. You know, and not to put you on the spot in a bad way. No, but just have you have you found yourself thinking about that? Is that is that on your radar? Well, I think one thing that's um, interesting is that I've um, I got two two ideas here. But the first one is that coming from the outdoor fairs, I find that working with galleries is actually um, beneficial for me in that sense because when I'm at the outdoor fairs, I'm in such direct contact with the people who are buying the work mm-hmm. and with seeing other artists who are like um, making work that like really is selling super well. But maybe in my mind, like I don't like it as much, but I'm yeah. like, I could kill it if I just made some, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, that wasn't as true to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I think, I think that's one thing that's been really beneficial. And one was one of the reasons that I, made the decision to not do the outdoor fairs anymore was that I wanted to be a little bit more removed from the selling of stuff Mm -hmm. in order to grow as an artist. Um, And then the the other thing is that um, I guess I haven't really had any galleries that have pressured me a whole, I wouldn't say anybody's pressured me, but I do have, sometimes they'll give me feedback and say, hey, these are selling really well, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Just so you know. And it's kind of, <laughs> I, I think there are some people who would like sort of complain. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there are galleries out there that are really like pressuring artists. But for me, it's like they're trying to make money. Yeah. So am I. Like they're yeah. just basically giving me the cheat code if yeah. I want to, you know, yeah. make a make a bunch of money. Like, yeah. Let's work together and figure out how to do that. So. Yeah. And if you can make what you want to make. And it yeah. does that. I, I think that that's, um, you know, I think that that's not a problem at all. Yeah. Like I don't have a problem with that at all. Personally. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be um, making something to sell doesn't have to be your entire studio practice. Yeah. So if they tell you that the, like the cliche is like the big shiny red ones are selling really well, like, well, okay, like I could knock out a big shiny red one in a couple hours and then spend the rest of the day doing something that I actually want to do. Like that's better than working Not at a coffee shop, in my opinion. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, teaching. So yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> As a yeah. teacher, I say yeah. I don't. No, no I, totally, I, I, I don't take it. Love what you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Teaching well, is, you know, I don't yeah. know. Um, <laughs> it's got ups and downs. That's a, yeah. I mean, I, I I taught kids, so I noticed. Like, okay, I know the demand of teaching. Yeah, K, yeah, yeah, K through sixth grade. So, and I've taught high school. And uh, so um, uh, I've worked across all age groups and uh, I liked, well, I like being a professor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think academia is changing. I will say that. And um, I like teaching in general. Yeah. It doesn't have to happen. That can happen all kinds of places. So um, I just find the discourse wedded to the making for me. But, um, mm. but I get how, uh, there's a reason why I'm not teaching little kids uh, mm-hmm. back in California anymore. Cause it was in public school cause it was exhausting. Yeah. And, uh, I'm sure. 
yeah, it's, it's a it's a unique gift when someone can do it well um, and sustain it for a long time. Yeah, I yep. think it's just sustaining <laughs> it over a lifetime. And it's like, well, I don't know if I want to sustain this for a lifetime. Right. Um, in that way. Yeah. But um, no, I, I think I think uh, finding that place where you're, you're like able to freely say, like, I can make something and have the rest of the day to play around yeah. is the, is the way you set up the future work that mm-hmm. may end up becoming the red painting also. Yeah, so. that's true too. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, maybe I just gave some people bad advice because it's like the, the, I find mostly actually what really does end up selling is what's, if it resonates with me, it's mm-hmm. going to resonate with somewhere else. And if it's not coming from a place of like integrity, then there's a good chance somebody's going to be able to see through that. Yeah. So if yeah. it's something like, I don't know, it can be it can be really difficult to replicate something when somebody asks you. To do no, that. it's true. It, I, I was going to yeah. say like I I've made things where um, where now I look at it and, I, and I I can say like I know how I made it, but I don't know how I made it yeah. because the emotional state the or the mental state and uh, there's so many variables that were like providentially that's what happened mm-hmm. uh-huh. and, and so you can't go back so you can't have that again yep and and um i've mostly only experienced it where you just have to go forward i could kind of make something like something when my mind because i tend to make you know groupings of works so when i'm in that grouping space i can keep making within that grouping and that can be enough like something else but specifically i can't get back there it's too hard it's like it's not possible it's like you, you, it's like trying to go back and wear clothes you wore four years ago and your body's changed it's like mm-hmm. you can't can't wear them anymore yeah you know yeah um so you, you've also mentioned that sometimes you'll sculpt a little bit what you got any insights on that you don't show that work though no or yeah what do you, not as much um it's just not really quite developed to a point that i would be comfortable putting it out there but um yeah it's just sort of fun to mess around with stuff um whenever I need a little bit of a break from a painting. So yeah. um, I, I, I've been messing around lately with um, croquet mallets, which is just like, I will just go to an antique store and like find some stuff and then mm-hmm. um, just chop it up on the <clears throat> miter saw. And so, um, and then just kind of, it's the same process, but just three dimensionally. Yeah. So I, I made a, the other day I made like a croquet mallet, but I cut its, handle at a 45 degree angle so now i've got this like l-shaped croquet mallet that uh-huh. i don't know just to amuse myself yeah, yeah 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 well so i guess reason why i brought that up is it to me looking at your work in the constructive nature it makes sense that you might be messing with all dimensions because there's a kind of like a haptic learning happening that then probably intuitively transfers back into the two-dimensional work mm-hmm. because they're they're very um sculptural in a certain kind of way uh, the works that you're making, uh, in terms of like the layering. Um, and it looks like sometimes there's pieces that are being like almost puzzled together. Yeah. Yeah. Assembled together. And so you're assembling left to right horizontal, you know, side to side, but then there looks like there's overlaps. So that's mm-hmm. very 4d actually. It's very, yeah. it's, it really is three dimensional, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's just the idea of the wall that I think is a, category that people uphold so you're like well if it goes on a wall then it's not like the old like i bump into a sculpture and I look at a painting but uh paintings can be very much sculpt sculptures exactly you know mm-hmm. um i love yeah i love playing with that line and blurring the line between mm-hmm. um painting and sculpture and i probably would do it more i think one thing that 
is for better or worse, probably mostly worst that you have to think about is just the practicality of uh, and logistics of shipping art and yeah. gallery being able to yeah. put it in their storage racks. And so, yeah, I made a lot of large work. Yeah. A lot of like 11 foot shape paintings back in the early 2000s yeah. and assembled pieces. <laughs> uh-huh. that, and uh, they either don't exist now or they live in my basement in some of my garage. That's a, like my unfinished side of my studio. And, uh, <clears throat> and I was making big sculptures and that were like these weird disassemblable things. And it was a juggernaut. And uh, yeah. you can't ship them. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like giant crates and cost. <laughs> and typically, it's the kind of thing that you don't sell. Mm-hmm. So then there's, you know, it's an odd, it's an odd tension to live in. You know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I could get away with that, but maybe someday I'll have a little bit more freedom to where I can play, play around with. Yeah, dimensionality. That would be really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just you just need like a sculpture garden commission. Yeah, and then yeah, you, that would be sweet. Yeah, that's I've your, really that's your wanting, goal. Yeah, I've been wanting to learn how to um, how to weld actually because I've seen um, Michael Broth really has done such a great job of taking his uh, super iconic like two dimensional mm-hmm. um, la- visual language and transferring it like seamlessly yep. into sculptures, which has been super cool to see. He works around the clock. Oh yeah, that dude. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's like nonstop. <laughs> yeah. He's not standing still. Yeah. <laughs> like, but yeah, he's found, he's definitely found like a way to seamlessly do to, yeah, to t- transfer that language. Um, and it's because two, two and three dimensional language are not, or forms are not uh, so far from each other. And then mm-hmm. when the specified language is there, he has like his own lexicon of um, shapes with attitude and color. It just works. It imports so well from the mural aspect out to the, so the scale down into uh, the scale and the mural and the painting all coming off the wall into real space. Like yeah. he's he's definitely, um, yeah, like a staple in Richmond, Yeah, you know, now for that to where it looks like he's got the market on a public art, commission, <laughs> public art commissions, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, he's another interesting story go-getter, you sure. know, like that just kind of like made it happen for himself and it's a, it's another one of those unique stories that, but it, but there's still the same nose to just like go for it. Like mm-hmm. I think saying go for it sounds like this big eighties movie, like <laughs> you got to go for it, you know, <laughs> but go for it could just be like picking up a cup of coffee. Like it's like, yeah. it can be that direct and that simple and, and that painless actually. <laughs> and I think, um, it took, it took, it took me a lot longer to, 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 um, like when I started Chaco, I would just like go inter- like there was no gallery yet. And I was teaching at VCU, but I was like, Hey, my name's Ryan. I'm the director of Chaco art space. I'm like, Oh, I've never heard of that. I was like, Oh yeah, it's down here on 12 North 19th street. And, uh, there was no gallery yet, but it took me just like going through the reps yeah. of saying that that's what it was, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I just, I, that's when like doing that for me, that was like my studio practice was like launching mm-hmm. this space, mm-hmm. like building, like it just, and doing that repetitiously. And then working with artists and then realizing like, I should have been doing this for myself as an artist a lot, a long time ago, mm. you know? So I, I kind of came to it later by comparison, you mm-hmm. know? But um, once you start doing it, you realize like almost nobody gives any pushback. They may not care, <laughs> you know, but but then you get the opportunities that come too because you've yep. actually been knocking on doors, Yeah, mm-hmm. you know? And um, I, I don't know, I feel like if anything, like that's the big takeaway that I hope there's a lot of people that need to hear that. It's yeah. like, you gotta, you gotta go out and, and go after it. Yep. You know, you have to. 
Yeah. And I think it's huge also just to, to underline what you said, put an exclamation point on it. Like it can be very small, mm-hmm. right? Like going forward is not like, you know, go get the $40,000 like fellowship prize. Yeah. yeah. Like that's probably not your first best step, mm-hmm. especially if you want encouragement, you know, like, because there's a good chance somebody else that's been doing a lot more of this going and getting it is, is more prepped for that. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, the coffee shop, the art fair, the yeah. talking to a friend about doing a collaboration. Like there's a lot of other ways yeah, to a lot go of steps. for it. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, even like there. a, you know, like I had told Connor, like uh, back in the day, just to use that example, it's like, it's like, you don't have to wait for a gallery to show you, make your own gallery. Cause I was, yep. we were yep. doing these exhibitions in um, Broad Street with, I was curating a year's worth of shows on Broad Street mm. for freshmen in this window space that we made so many awesome shows that we got shut down, which was kind of like a badge of honor. It's like, we were so radical that we got shut down. And at the time, the director of our foundations, Jack Risley was really proud of that. Like he liked that we made people like (laughs) not want us to do shows there anymore. But Connor was in there and it's like, well, you know, man, like you move some furniture in your house Mm -hmm. and hang some paintings and like invite people. And in Connor fashion, like they literally removed everything from their apartment. And so they had this opening and I was like, holy smokes, man, you guys took me like really serious. And then that turned into, into so much success that they opened a gallery while they were all students. And he still, to, to my recollection, did the greatest exhibition I'd seen. He built, so they ran a gallery while they were students that was doing some of the best contemporary shows here, better than some large museums um, in Richmond. And, um, <laughs> um, truly. And, uh, and it's all students. And it was phenomenal. And then they lived there. So it's lived there storefront gallery mm-hmm. space. And then he did his wow. senior show there. And the oh. senior show was like three rooms that he built that were like bedrooms where he constructed everything in the room was not real, but it looked real, including a bed and paintings and sculptures. And <laughs> as you move through the rooms, these are full rooms, by the way, hmm. then you move into this like narrowing space that becomes a green screen room where everything is green screen with these uh, super artificial looking, ob- dude, it was, it was insane. And you started to mess, it started to mess with your perception. I was like, this is as good as any grad thesis show mm-hmm. you're gonna see. And as good as a lot of just like anybody showing anywhere you're gonna see. And this is like, a this is a guy's own gallery. He's not even, he's, he hasn't graduated yet. And it was like, um, yeah, like I, it's almost like I was telling this kid to do things and he would do like 10 times more than when you tell him. Mm-hmm. And then that started to show me like, well, I gotta take my own advice <laughs> in Shaco <laughs> Art Space. You know, it's like, then yeah, I, yeah. it's weird, man. It's weird how, yeah. how things work out. But um, but all in all of that, it's like, yeah, don't waste your time. Don't waste time not going, not doing the work. If, if you really want to do it, don't waste your time yep. second yeah. guessing it. You're wasting time second guessing it. You know, I think that's the big thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Even that I need to hear right now. Oh yeah. So hey, in closing, what do you got going on next, man? What, where, where can people see you? What, uh, what are you up to? How do how do how do we want to land the plane on this? What do you got coming up? You got any solo shows happening? Yeah, yeah. Art fairs. Um, I've got. Well, actually, one thing that's super exciting is I just wrote. Um, hopefully, the first annual um, like publication art book type thing. It's like part journal. I scanned in a bunch of journal pages. Um, combined with like, uh, just photos of my work. Um, and so, um, I worked with a designer, um, to put that together. Mm -hmm. And so just sort of a year end, um, sort of wrap up 
um, yeah. kind of as a gift for my clients, but then it'll also be on sale for anyone else that wants that. So I'll be putting that up on my Instagram. Um, I think November 17th or 18th is when the books are supposed to come in. So that's probably when I'll, when that's I'll throw exciting. it up on Instagram. We'll, be, we'll make sure that we have that, a link on our, on yeah. this talk. And awesome. so people will be able to mm-hmm. buy those out and yeah, read it you. and look at it. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, and then, uh, studio wise, I'm working towards, um, a two person show at two galleries in Atlanta, um, in February and then a solo show at Heidel Brooks in Charlotte next October. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And are you still going to do the, um, the hot dog cart business or is that, <laughs> is that, a- <laughs> let's hope not. Okay. Yeah. Let's you hope not, not. No, you're not. You, that's off the table then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just to keep it interesting, just to, just to keep people guessing if that was a real, a real thing Cameron agreed to do or not, or is trying to do or not. We'll let you decide. We'll let you decide based on Cameron's story. Um, well, thank you for coming on, Cameron. Uh, yeah, we can find fantastic. you on Instagram. Your website is Cameron. CameronWilsonRicher.com. Yep. Yeah. And yep. Uh, you heard the gallery. So um, definitely uh, look into Cameron's work. It's worth mm-hmm. it. And uh, do be on the lookout for this book. It sounds fantastic. And Gareth, yeah, and, we'll, I love, Gareth and I love books, so oh, we'll be 100%. looking out for it. Yeah, it's great. Um, and we'll make sure that all the stuff's in the show notes so people yep. can get through uh, and see whatever they need. But um, thank you so much, just like Ryan said. And uh, to everybody out there listening, we do love you. We do appreciate you. You are a fantastic audience, and we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottom.